Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. A couple of quick reminders. Thresher Media Group is a 501c3 public charity, and we rely entirely on donations from our listeners. If the Spirit leads you, I encourage you to support this ministry. It is easy to do. Just go to the website, threshermediagroup.com, and click the Donate tab in the header. I would also encourage you to go to Amazon and pick up a copy of Liberating the Book of Revelation, Returning to the Source of the Message. This book is intended to help us all know what the Spirit said and how He said it. This book is focused not so much on interpreting the book of Revelation, that is what this podcast is for, but on accurately representing the book of Revelation in the manner in which the Spirit originally spoke it to John. It is available in all formats, hardback, paperback, ebook format, and as an audible. With that said, let's turn to episode 127, Revelation chapters 11 through 14 and the Feast of Trumpets. In our last podcast, we addressed the second reaping and the judgment of those left behind. They are cast into the time of the great wrath of God, and in short, there will be a lot of blood. It'll be the most terrible time that has ever existed or ever will exist. In effect, it is the Day of Atonement, that ominous day where the people will pay for the decisions they have made to not honor the Son of God, to not give Him glory or to worship Him. But prior to the Day of Atonement, there is the Feast of Trumpets, which is connected to the rapture of the church. Therefore, before we move on to Revelation 15, we're going to look at the events of chapters 11 through 14 in light of the famed Feast of Trumpets and all that occurs with the blowing of the seventh trumpet, since so much happens when the seventh trumpet sounds. Previously, it was mentioned that all the feasts of Israel have a hidden prophetic meaning, which is often overlooked. The Jewish calendar of festivals is all code which speak to both Jesus' first and his second coming, as well as to the events associated with the end times. The Jewish calendar is separated between the spring and fall festivals. There are four festivals in the spring and three in the fall. Passover is a spring festival, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost. Those are the first four, and they are all spring festivals. And then there are three fall festivals, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. The spring festivals, the Feast of Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and Pentecost, all prophetically deal with Jesus' first coming. The last three festivals, which occur in the fall, all prophetically deal with Jesus' second coming and other events associated with the end times. The Feast of Trumpets, it's also known as Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Atonement, 
which is known as Yom Kippur, and the Feast of Tabernacles, which is known as Sukkot, are all layered with hidden prophetic messages for the last days. Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, which translates to the head of the year, begins on the first day of the seventh month, which is known as Tishri. And it's both the Jewish New Year and the beginning of what is known as the Ten Days of Repentance, or the Ten Days of Awe. Rosh Hashanah is also known as Yom Teruah, which just means Day of an Awakening Blast, or the Feast of Trumpets. In the Codex, Teruah is also translated as Shout in a passage that speaks of our redemption and the time when Jesus will dwell among us. With both the trumpet and the shout, we are once again linked to prophecy regarding the rapture of the church, which occurs with the sound of the last trumpet and the shout of the archangel. Rosh Hashanah is celebrated for two days. It's the only festival that no man knows the day or the hour in which it begins. That is because Rosh Hashanah begins on the new moon. The new moon was determined or sanctified by the Jews when, ironically, Two witnesses who saw the new moon would attest to it before the Sanhedrin in the temple. This sanctification could happen during either of two days, depending on when the two witnesses came forth with their testimony. Since no one knew when the witnesses would arrive, no one knew exactly when the Feast of Trumpets would commence. Practically, on the 30th of each month, the members of the high court assembled and waited to receive the testimony of the two witnesses. Once the testimony was given, they sanctified the new moon. Again, we have a link to the completion of the testimony of the two witnesses of Revelation 11, which sets off the events culminating in the blast of the seventh trumpet and the resurrection of the two witnesses unto life. Apparently, the new moon is difficult to see on the first day because it can be seen only near sunset. So looking for a very slim, faint crescent moon, which is close to the sun, is a difficult thing to do. If the moon's crescent was not seen on the first day, the new moon was automatically celebrated on the next day. For this reason, Rosh Hashanah is always celebrated for two days. Rosh Hashanah also lasts for two days just in case the first day lands on the Sabbath. If that were the case, the shofar would not be blown since carrying a shofar would be considered work and therefore not allowed. Thus, the second day compensates for both the new moon and the Sabbath. But we must not miss the imagery of the sun setting, the light of the world departing, the testimony of the two witnesses to the light of the world, and the coming of the time of darkness, the time of the moon. Rosh Hashanah falls on the first and second days of Tishri. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, falls on the 10th day, and the Feast of Tabernacles occurs on the 15th day, five days after the Day of Atonement. Although there are 10 days which span Rosh Hashanah and the Day of Atonement, there are technically only seven days between these celebrations, and five days from the Day of Atonement to the Feast of Tabernacles. Clearly, with these numbers 10, 7, and 5, we can understand the prophetic importance of when these festivals occur. The 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are called the days of awe, and they are days of deep spiritual contemplation, 
where a person prepares to stand before the judgment seat of God and seek forgiveness and cleansing. And the blowing of the shofar was God's way of summoning or calling all the peoples to repentance before the day of judgment. The great Jewish philosopher, Maimonides, explained that the blowing of the shofar is a wake-up call for people to abandon their evil ways and return to God. He wrote, Awake, O you sleepers, awake from your sleep. Search your deeds and turn in repentance. O you who forget the truth in the vanities of time and go astray all the year after vanity and folly that neither profit nor save, remember your creator. Look at your souls and better your ways in action. Let every one of you abandon the evil ways and his wicked thoughts and return to God so that he may have mercy upon you. The blowing of the shofar was understood by the Jews as the beginning of their trial before the heavenly court, a trial that lasted 10 days until the Day of Atonement. They envisioned a trial where they stood before the one who knows all and before his divine counsel. Their life was weighed as if placed on scales, and they are tried before this court to determine if their lives would be written in or removed from the book of life. Clearly, this has overtones to the promises Jesus made to the church at Sardis. It is intriguing that on Rosh Hashanah, a shofar, a ram's horn, is blown, and the silver trumpets are not blown. They were used for many other occasions. They do this because it is a reminder of God's mercy. As such, the Jews traditionally read the story of Abraham and Isaac, where Abraham took Isaac, his only son, to Mount Moriah where Jesus was slain outside of the city and bound Isaac to the altar and was ready to sacrifice him when God, in his great mercy, intervened. He literally held back Abraham's hand from striking Isaac and instead provided a ram for the sacrifice. Abraham found a ram whose horns were stuck in a thicket and he slain the ram in place of Isaac. All of this was picturesque of God's mercy in providing his one and only son to be the substitute sacrifice for the sins of man. The Talmud says, why do we blow a ram's horn? The Holy One, blessed is he, said, sound before me a ram's horn so that I may remember on your behalf the binding of Isaac, the son of Abraham, and account it to you as if you had bound yourselves before me. Thus, the ram's horn became for the Jews the symbol of God's willingness to, number one, remember the inability of man to redeem himself, and number two, grant to man atonement for sins through his substitute. In fact, on the first day of the festival, many Jews practiced the ritual of tashlika, or casting off. It is a ceremony where Jews symbolically cast off their sins into a body of water. Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning the sins and overlooking the crimes of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in grace. He will again have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. You will throw all their sins into the depths of the sea. The 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and the Day of Atonement, the days of awe, provide an opportunity for repentance to turn wholeheartedly to Yahweh to receive mercy. 
these days set the tone for the most holy day of atonement where they hope to be pardoned. According to tradition, these 10 days are for those whose names have not been inscribed in either the book of life or the book of death, which we'll explain in a moment. Our understanding of the Feast of Trumpets comes from both the oral and written traditions within Judaism, which are written or contained in the Talmud. The Talmud has two components, the Mishnah, which is a written codification of the Jewish oral law, and the Jamara, which is the discussion or the commentary on the oral law. The Mishnah contains the first reference to Rosh Hashanah as the Day of Judgment. It states that three books of account are opened on Rosh Hashanah, wherein the fate of the righteous, an intermediate class, and the wicked are recorded. The names of the righteous are immediately inscribed in the Book of Life, and they are sealed to live. The intermediate class, our well, they're allowed a respite for 10 days, these days of awe, until Yom Kippur, to reflect, repent, and become righteous, whereas the wicked are blotted out of the book of the living forever. In this manner, Rosh Hashanah depicts a universal judgment in heaven. The rabbinical literature speaks explicitly of books opened by the heavenly court on the Feast of Trumpets to decide the destiny of every human being. The heavenly judgment, which begins on the Feast of Trumpets, is sealed or confirmed 10 days later on the Day of Atonement. As the Mishnah puts it, all are judged on Rosh Hashanah, and the sentence is sealed on Yom Kippur. This is the reason why the traditional greeting during this time of year is, may you be inscribed for a good year, a reference to the Book of Life. And the reply is, same to you. The Talmud also provides three central themes of Rosh Hashanah, which speak of sovereignty, remembrance, and trumpet blasts. It is written, sovereignty, so that you should make me your king, remembrance, so that your remembrance should rise up before me, and through what? Through the shofar. These three themes are reflected in the traditional prayers found in the Jewish prayer book, which is called the Machzorim where the strongest theme is the coronation of God as king of the universe, followed by the preparation for the acceptance of judgments that will follow, leaving some lives hanging in the balance for 10 days, and finally, the sealing of the judgment on Yom Kippur. As a side note, the Feast of Tabernacles is referred to as the time of our joy, as it occurs after the sealing. It's a time for joy for those who have been sealed unto life either from the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, which would be the called and chosen and faithful, or those who are sealed on the Day of Atonement, the elect, based on their repentance during the days of awe, the days of indignation, the time of the Lord's wrath. During Rosh Hashanah, the shofar is typically blown 100 times, satisfying the commandment to make noise on this day. However, there are four types of blasts that are blown during this festival. Tekiah, a long single blast signifying the king's coronation. The Shevarim, three short wails like blast signifying repentance. The Teruah, nine staccato blasts of alarm to awaken the soul. And finally, the Tekiah Hagadol, the final or last trumpet is blown, which is one great long blast signifying that it is now too late. 
There is a dark side to this tradition of a hundred blasts. It is said that the hundred blasts are associated with the hundred letters in Sisera's mother's lament of his death, as recorded in the Song of Deborah. Sisera was an enemy of God's people, and he was slain by the army under the command of Deborah. It is suggested by the rabbinical teachers that the hundred blasts nullify all the letters in her lament, which correspond to all thoughts but one, the sorrow of a grieving mother. This is picturesque of God's judgment of the wicked on this day. Thus, the sound of the shofar is meant to stir the hearts of man to fear God and to inspire repentance. As it says in the Codex, when the shofar, trumpet, is blown in the city, will not the people tremble? Moreover, the month of Elul, which is the last month in the Jewish calendar, is a month in which the Jews are to prepare themselves or to ready themselves for the days of awe. The clear message for the Jews was repent before Rosh Hashanah or be sealed in the book of life. For if you wait until Rosh Hashanah, you will find yourself in the days of awe and your life hanging in the balance. This provides an interesting connection to biblical numerology. There were 30 days in Elul and 10 days, the days of awe, from the Feast of Trumpets to the Day of Atonement, a total of 40 days, as 40 is the number associated with human testing. This period is traditionally seen by the Jews as the day of testing culminating in one's final sentence on the Day of Atonement. This is a clear link to the Revelation narrative. The days of Elul are the days of preparation, the first three-and-a-half-year period of the Tribulation. The message, get yourself ready and be sealed unto life. Whereas those who are not raptured at the sound of the Tekiah HaGadol, the last or final trumpet, will face a time of testing unto life or death during the days of awe, the last three and a half year period of the tribulation, leading up to their final sentencing on the day of atonement, on the day of Jesus' second coming. With this background, let us look at the scriptural basis for Rosh Hashanah. With that said, it's not inherently obvious how they get from the scriptures to their solemn and mournful practices. They must have received some of their instruction through a prophetic revelation. Then we'll make the connections between the holy days and the events in Revelation 11, 12, 13, and 14. Leviticus 23, 23 through 25. Again, Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel saying, in the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to Yahweh. And Numbers 29, 1 through 2. On the first day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a day for you to blow the trumpets. It's hard to extract from these passage a message about judgment and sentencing. Clearly, the Jewish understanding has come from an understanding of the purpose of these holy days, as well as other spiritual connections and illuminations by the Spirit of God, which helped frame these concepts. We already covered the outpouring of God's mercy on Isaac, but clearly, one is not in need of mercy if one is not condemned. Mercy speaks of sin, judgment, sentencing, and condemnation. Accordingly, Isaac was going to be slain if it was not for God's mercy. 
Yet there's also something uniquely peculiar about the festivals themselves. The Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement are the only two of the seven holidays which do not commemorate some event in Jewish history. These two days are understood to deal with the human condition at large and not just the nation of Israel. These two festivals deal with our need to wake up from the malaise of sin which clouds our minds, hence the trumpet blast, and to repent before it's too late and the day of judgment arrives. This festival and its implications are also described in the Codex. To set the scene, the Israelites were taken captive to the land of Babylon for 70 years. In this debacle, many Israelites were judged and slaughtered, but there was a remnant that was preserved and protected in Babylon. Eventually, they were allowed to return to the land to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Nehemiah was the governor at the time, and Ezra was the priest. We pick up the scene on the first day of the seventh month, which is the Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that Yahweh had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed Yahweh the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped Yahweh with their faces to the ground. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to Yahweh our God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This is a powerful scene. On the first day of the Feast of Trumpets, the priest stood on a platform looking down on the people and read the law. The scene is picturesque of a judge who stands above a criminal in a court of law, condemning the criminal under the statutes of the law. Accordingly, the law was given for that very purpose. It demonstrates the holiness of God and the lack of holiness of man. The law, in effect, proves out the assertion that only God is good. The law was given because of transgressions or to show people their sins. The law pops our bubble of religious delusion, whereby we become convinced that we are good or that we can be good for God and do what pleases them. Everyone eventually discovers that no one can be made right with God by trying to do what the law commands. For the standard 
is absolute perfection. Thus, the loss simply shows us how sinful we truly are. Unbeknownst to many, all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, or literally a raised platform as in the story of Nehemiah, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Again, the standard of judgment is perfection, for the law of Yahweh is perfect. Thus, when Ezra began to read from his exalted position, representative of the judgment seat, they, the people, were condemned under the law, and they knew it, which is why they wept. In the light of God's perfection, they became aware of their sin and were broken underneath his perfect judgments. Fortunately, their hearts were filled with remorse and repentance. This turned into a time where Nehemiah, Ezra, and the other priests reminded them of the holiness of the day and God's mercy over their lives. This gives us the scriptural basis for the Mishnah, says that on Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets, all men must pass before him, God that is. It is a day of judgment. Now let us tie this feast to our passage in Revelation. First, the Feast of Trumpets is the only one of seven feasts that falls on a new moon. This festival of the new moon functions as a shadow, as a prophetic picture of what will take place. Thus, it serves as a message or a warning of the coming time of darkness, a day without hope. Second, the month of Elul, which is when one is to prepare themselves for the days of awe. In Revelation 14, 6 through 9, there are three angels that are sent to the world to warn and prepare the people of the earth to repent before it's too late. They issue the command for people to fear God, to worship God, and to give him glory before the trumpet blows. They talk about the destruction of Babylon, the religious system they have been following, and the eternal, unrelenting perils of following the beast. It is a clear cry to the world to repent and turn to God before the days of awe, before the days of indignation when the Lord's wrath is poured out upon the earth. Third, we have a connection to the three themes of Rosh Hashanah, sovereignty, remembrance, and trumpet blast, and the three books that were believed to be opened in the heavens, as that it is written, sovereignty, so that you should make me your king, remembrance, so that your remembrance should rise before me, and through what? Through the shofar. The three books of account which are opened on Rosh Hashanah are the books wherein the fate of the righteous, an intermediate class, and the wicked are recorded. The names of the righteous are immediately inscribed in the book of life, and they are sealed to live. They will rise up to Yahweh through the final blast of the shofar. The intermediate class is allowed a respite of 10 days, the days of awe, until Yom Kippur, to reflect, repent, and become righteous. The wicked, however, are forever blotted out of the book of the living. Sovereignty. Sovereignty, so that you should make me your king. Revelation 11, 15 through 17. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there chose to be loud voices in heaven, now saying, The kingdom of the world has chosen to become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and in the future he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were now sitting on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, now saying, We now give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is now being, who is now being and who was, for you have taken your great power and have reigned. 
remembrance, so that your remembrance should rise up before me. In Revelation 14, 14 through 16, we see the remembrance of his people as they literally rise before him in the rapture of the church. We see the salvation of those whose names are inscribed in the Lamb's book of life, and they live. This is the first harvest. Revelation 14, 14 through 16. Then I looked and behold a white cloud, and now choosing to be sitting on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, now having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the sanctuary, now crying out with a loud voice to him, now choosing to be sitting on the cloud. You are commanded to thrust your sickle, and you are commanded to reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth has been caused to have been ripened. Then he that is now choosing to be sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was caused to be reaped. The shofar. And through what? The shofar. Salvation comes through the shofar, or the blowing of the tekaya hagadol the last or final trumpet. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There are those who say it is not possible to tie the seventh trumpet to the last trumpet, which is specifically tied to the rapture of the church. They say this because in Judaism, the last trumpet is a specific trumpet blast of the shofar. Let us examine this claim. In Judaism, there are three trumpets that have a name. They are the first trumpet, the final or last trumpet, and the great trumpet. Each of these trumpets correlates to a specific day in the Jewish calendar. The first trumpet is blown on the Feast of Pentecost, and it celebrates the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. The trumpet blast of Exodus 19.19 is the first trumpet that is celebrated in the Jewish calendar. Interestingly, for believers, this day and this trumpet also celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit. In other words, It pictures the end of the old covenant of the law and the beginning of the new covenant of grace via the Holy Spirit of God. The final, or last trumpet, as it is called, relates to none other than Rosh Hashanah. It is the Tekiah Haggadol, the last trumpet that is blown. The one great long blast signifying that it is now too late. The judgment has been sealed and the days of awe have begun. The great trumpet is blown on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and it announces Jesus' second coming. The Codex specifically connects the great trumpet with Jesus' return and refers to it by name. This is the time when Jesus gathers his elect, those who endured the tribulation and did not bend the knee to the beast. Matthew 24, 29-31. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, again, immediately after the tribulation of those days. The sun in the future will be caused to be darkened, and the moon in the future will not give its light. And in the future, the stars will choose to fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will, in the future, be caused to be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will, in the future, be caused to appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will, in the future, choose to mourn. And they, in the future, will choose to see the Son of Man, now choosing to be coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And in the future, he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. And they will in the future gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Of these three blasts of the shofar, there's a clear connection and purpose and function between the seventh 
and the final trumpet of Rosh Hashanah, which seals the fates of men, the Tekaya Hagadol blows, and some rise to life, the bride, the chosen of God. Some are given an opportunity to live through the days of awe or through the last part of the tribulation where they are tested until the day of atonement. These are the intermediate class. Those who refuse to take the mark of the beast or the number of its name and remain faithful to God, the righteous or the elect, will be gathered via the great trumpet to enter the time of Yahweh's physical reign on the earth, which will last 1,000 years. And still there'll be others who are destined for eternal death, the wicked or the accursed, the called and chosen and faithful. As those who are now believing are raptured into heaven, they will be protected from the time of the Lord's great wrath until his anger is passed. This is exactly as David declared, for in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. Yet, at the same time, the Jewish rabbis were right. Indeed, all men must pass before him, God that is, in judgment, even those chosen for life. Revelation eleven eighteen, And the time came for the dead to be caused to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who are caused to now be fearing your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who are now destroying the earth. The judgment of the holy ones is a judgment of fire. All that is not of God will be burned up, wood, hay, and stubble, and all that remains, gold, silver, and precious jewels, is their reward, a picture of what Jesus did in and through their lives. After all, what is clear throughout the Codex is that our only power and success comes from God. He is our sufficiency, and he has made us competent by the Spirit to be ministers of his new covenant. It's all what he does, not what we do. Hence, he is our reward. Remember, the source matters. The source is everything. Soon, John will be shown what appears to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who had conquered the beast in its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of gold in their hands. This is a picture of the judgment of the saints being purified by the fire such the bride of Christ is presented to him bright and pure, clothed with fine linen. In the sea of fire, she is judged and cleansed. She will then stand before God pure and fully rewarded, ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. His bride has made herself ready. The Intermediate Class The intermediate class, the righteous and the elect, the elect being the righteous from among the Jews, are given a respite for the remainder of the tribulation, the days of awe, until Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which is symbolic of Jesus' second coming. They use this time to reflect, repent, and become righteous. The ten days is significant of the time of God's ordained time of testing of humanity, which in this case lasts for times, time, and half a time. Three and a half years. Revelation twelve fourteen. But the woman was caused to be given two wings of the great eagle, so that she might now choose to fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is now caused to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. The wicked, the accursed. The wicked are not only blotted out of the book of the living, they are judged, sentenced, and eternally condemned. In fact, some were never even written in the book of life. 
Revelation 11, 18 through 19. The nations were caused to be enraged, but your wrath came, and the time to destroy those who are now destroying the earth. Then God's sanctuary in heaven was caused to be opened, and the ark of his covenant was caused to be seen within his sanctuary. There were by choice flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Revelation 13, 8. All who are now dwelling on the earth will in the future worship him. Everyone whose name has not been caused to have been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who is caused to being slain. Revelation 14, 9 through 11. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, now saying with a loud voice, If anyone now worships the beast in his image and now receives a mark on his forehead or his hand, in the future he also will choose to drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is caused to have been mixing in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will in the future be caused to be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment now goes up forever and ever. They now have no rest day and night, those who are now worshiping the beast in his image and who ever now receives the mark of his name. And finally, Revelation 14, verses 17 through 20. And another angel came out of the sanctuary, which is in heaven, now having a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who is now having the power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who is now having the sharp sickle, now saying, You are commanded to thrust in your sharp sickle, and you are commanded to gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was caused to be trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia, approximately 200 miles. The New Moon Festival. Clearly, the shadow of the festival of the New Moon, the Feast of Trumpets, is given substance and meaning in the book of Revelation. Let us consider one more example of this shadow that becomes far more than a picture. Before we address the connection of these fall feasts to the numbers 10, 7, and 5, now let's throw in the number 40. 10 was the inclusive number of days assigned to the days of awe, beginning on the first of Tishri, the first day of the Feast of Trumpets, and ending on the Day of Atonement. According to the code, 10 is the number depicting the divine order and testing of human affairs. 10 is also intricately connected with the number 4, the number according to the code that depicts God's creative works. 10 times 4 equals 40, which depicts the divine order of human trial and triumph. We learn that there are 40 days from Elul, the last month of the year, and the month of preparation through the end of the days of awe. Therefore, we can conclude that the number of days of testing of humanity have been fixed, determined, and it will happen exactly as described. The number seven was a reference to the seven days between the end of the Feast of Trumpets and the beginning of the Day of Atonement. According to the code, the number seven depicts completion. Therefore, these seven days are picturesque of the time after the rapture of the church, but before the second coming of Christ, when the Lord's seven bowls of wrath are poured out upon the earth, bringing the Lord's great wrath to completion. 
The number five was the number of days from the Day of Atonement to the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, whereas it is said that our joy is made complete. According to the code, five is the number of God's grace towards us. The Day of Atonement pictures Satan being defeated along with the beast and the false prophet at the end of the tribulation. And with these characters gone, we are safe to enter the time of tabernacles. The five days, therefore, pictures the grace of God that is given to those who survive the tribulation, for example, the righteous and the elect, and who are allowed to enter a tabernacle of shelter and protection where Jesus is their covering. Thus, these five days are symbolic of the millennial kingdom where Jesus establishes his kingdom on the earth for 1,000 years. A thousand years of grace. Now, how cool is all of that? Summary. First, Jesus is the Lord. He is the only one who will be crowned king. He is sovereign. And with the blowing of the seventh and final shofar, he will begin to enforce his reign over the earth. Second, we must be prepared and found living in a state of repentance, seeking atonement before it is too late. This is what it means to live in remembrance. Third, we can be rescued. Instead of the last trumpet signifying our participation in the days of awe as part of the intermediate class, we can seal our destiny now, and it can be life among those who are righteous. Fourth, we can be cleansed as in the celebration of Tashlika. We can have our sins removed, and we can be bright, pure, and clean. Fifth, we can have our names permanently inscribed in the Lamb's book of life. We do not have to go through the days of awe. We can be inscribed today. The trumpet is about to blow. Sixth, this festival reminds us of the binding of Isaac and the provision of the ram, Jesus, the Lamb of God. It's to be for us the substitute sacrifice for our sins. He is, and we need to let him be our Redeemer. Seventh, this festival foreshadows the protection and preparation of the righteous. All those Gentiles who refuse to bow before the beast and the elect, the faithful in Israel. Let's stop here. In our next podcast, we will begin Revelation 15. I'm glad you tuned in and have been ready to listen. To get a free download of the full written transcript with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R mediagroup.com. This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in.